Hello and welcome back to iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, in the PropTech hot seat today is PJ Appleton, co-founder of BlockSpring. And BlockSpring is a strategic public relations firm serving companies across the built environment with a particular focus on the PropTech sector. PJ, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, always great to be here, Carol. Great to uh, great to chat. Thanks for having me back on. I'm I'm delighted because we we are uh, your company and our company. We are in touch quite a lot. You have some really exciting prop tech companies on your books, as I like to think we do too. Um, but I know that you're working for some of the some of the prop tech companies who are really making an impact in the market at the moment. Um, and so I know that any of them starting up in the UK and maybe hitting the UK as their first point of contact outside of their founding countries. Um, I know Blockspring is the, is the place to go. So I'm delighted to have you on the show today so we can really talk about the ecosystem because um, yourself and your business partner, Adam, who isn't with us today, um, I met you first when you were both working for a leading prop tech company so that's how how I met you guys and I think was it back in 2018 you went out on your own yeah that's right yeah um so yes we obviously met you four years ago I remember I turned up late to one of your radio shows once and you almost uh, did I give out to you I, I, I get a bit strict about things like that <laughs> I think I sent you some flowers afterwards to, to say sorry but um, good man fine. that always works <laughs> water under the bridge now um but yeah no so we, we obviously met back when when Adam and I were at Equium but um <clears throat> In 2020, Adam and I kind of uh, saw this opportunity to to try something a little bit different and set up, uh, you know, our uh, consultancy, which was Blockspring. Um, and really, that was a result of kind of seeing this gap in the market around uh, helping prop techs with their messaging, with their sales. And uh, we decided to go for it in the uh, in the first lockdown. Uh, by that point, it was kind of too late to go back. And so, for the first half of 2020, it was it was pretty kind of hard going, but. Um, yeah, now we are a team of, uh, of 10 and with around 16 clients across the UK, uh, the USA and, uh, and Europe as well. So it's been uh, you know, a really exciting couple of years for us. Fantastic. That's amazing growth uh, to be up to 10 in that length of time. So that's amazing. And I know I, I know you don't want to name drop, but can I name drop a few of your clients? Because oh, they're, they're well-known yeah. brands. So uh, I know you work with HQO, uh, right. Navigator, uh, CRE, they're a really exciting one. Um, one that I'm particularly keen on is Illity. So I know we've we've um, interviewed some of the management team from there, and I think that they're a great example of innovation coming from within the industry. So that's that's an exciting one, and I know there's Proda and so many more. Look, we might we might touch on some of those today, but really, what I wanted to talk to you about today, really, to see how can we add value to prop tech startups um, across the ecosystem today, no matter what geography, um, mm. you know, or, or where, what jurisdiction they're operating in, but also to make it, I suppose, a little more accessible for buyers of prop tech, because I think there's still a lot of confusion out there. And from the time maybe back in 2015 and 16, when we started going out and approaching uh, traditional real estate operators, about maybe trying technology or you know even meeting startups with a view to giving good feedback um on on proposed products there was a little bit of reticence now that's mm. completely changed over the last number of years with covid but how are you finding the marketplace for your innovators at the moment 
Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good point. Honestly, I feel the the whole ecosystem, the whole sort of prop tech space has changed so much since since those early days. I'm sure you feel feel the same. I mean, even just the sort of the term, you know, prop tech was was seen as this super separate thing, this kind of um, this sort of new entrance to the market. You know, some people really loved that, thought either, you know, the industry needs shaking up. Some people were, I think, quite threatened by that, you know, the kind of traditional sort of old guard of, of real estate. Um, and I think there's been a massive change in the sense that, you know, many of the firms we work with now don't describe themselves even as prop tech firms. They just sort of see themselves as a natural extension of, of the real estate industry and kind of rightly so because every other industry has been disrupted by technology. And so, uh, you know, real estate, really technology should just be a kind of a part of it, um, uh, you know, in that sense. So, you know, we've seen we've seen big change. Um, and I think, you know, buyers are now understanding that you do really need to you need need to adapt and actually technology is not here to kind of threaten your business or, or your jobs it's here to kind of help you be you know drive efficiency it's here to help you know, generate better kind of roi solve all kinds of different problems i think probably you know there's still certainly a way to go um you know i think the way that prop tech can really help itself is by really kind of proving ROI. So I think right at the start, you know, there's a lot of sort of visionary statements from various kind of tech firms, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, you know, real estate, ultimately, they're going to be looking at, you know, can I see some case studies? Can I see some proof, some evidence that this stuff actually helps my, my, my business? And I think, you know, that probably the, the pressure is still on PropTech to kind of prove, um, prove the kind of the results. Um, and I think if they do that, then I think the rest of the real estate market will kind of follow suit, but there's still certainly a kind of a, a way to go. Um, I think the issue as well is that it's it's obviously still a, you know, real estate is a traditional industry. Um, it's still a very kind of relational industry, and there's lots of great skills within within real estate. Um, but technology traditionally hasn't been one of those, and so kind of almost as a whole industry, everybody's kind of upskilling together and learning, you know, what it means to kind of implement technology, what it means to measure the success of technology what it means to integrate with other technologies, all these kind of new terms that are suddenly coming to the fore in 2018. Um, and I think that's happening, but, but obviously it takes a bit of time. Yeah, it's, you know, one thing that you touched on there is maybe a point of frustration that we've had that actually what we're seeing now is take up of the technologies that we might've been talking about really years ago, as in mm. back in 2016, 2017, um, and, and yet they're being adopted now. And so there's a feeling that, the conversation hasn't moved on, but it has, the, the, the prop tech integration has moved on very well, but it feels like we're still tackling a lot of the same problems with the same technology. So um, there can be that feeling of stagnation, but actually mm -hmm. the difference is, I suppose back in 2016, 2017, this was unproven technologies in some cases, whereas now not only is it proven, but now it's becoming core to achieving ESG metrics. Um, I, I interviewed um, our, our mutual um, friend and colleague, Anthony Slumbers recently, and he really put it very succinctly. He said that, you know, previously the conversation around uh, the take up of PropTech has moved on that mm. actually he made the point that sustainability is the mechanism by which PropTech will be essentially integrated into real estate and that is good but it's also frustrating for everybody who was plugging away kind of in, in the decade before that but listen whatever whatever driver works mm -hmm. we know that it is working um but in the same week uh matt knight 
published a piece, you might have seen it there saying he, he called it, he thinks that PropTech as a sector is officially in recession. Mm. What do you make of that, PJ? Yeah, it's a, it's a punchy statement. I mean, I, think, I guess I've got two views on this. I think there are so many kind of external drivers that are providing amazing opportunities for, for um, tech firms serving the built environment. So obviously ESG is one of those. And I think, the, you know, the crazy thing about ESG as well is that, you know, generally speaking, when people mention ESG, they, they just mean the E bit, right? I mean, so many people think, oh, you know, Paris Climate Agreement, you go, we've got these targets that we have to meet, let's think about the E. But even if you just take that bit, you know, and plant the E aside for a second, you know, the S and the G is still massively important as well. So suddenly our awareness of things like well-being in the workplace, that's a huge opportunity for, 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 for prop techs as well. You know, G as well on the kind of gov governance side of things, you know, so, so the opportunities even in ESG alone are threefold. It's not just kind of one thing. But then you also kind of look at, um, you know, at, at hybrid working, obviously kind of post-COVID and the new requirements from that. There are just so many kind of new cultural changes that are taking place. And this is what I find fascinating about PropTech is it's because it's, it's trying to help real estate adapt to what's happening in the wider world that, okay, I, you know, this, the sector is probably going through some co consolidation. I would agree with that because I think some firms that are maybe not able to kind of prove their value will be found out and that inevitably is going to be a little bit of consolidation, whether it's M&A or just companies not quite, not quite making it and falling away. Um, but, you know, consolidation is different to, to recession or regression. You know, I think there's still, as a sector, you know, there's still so many opportunities for prop tech to really help kind of real estate catapult into, you know, into, well, we are in the 21st century, we have been for a while, but real estate still needs to get there. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I think that's a fair point that maybe um, some prop techs have been floating through on the basis of the potential of what they could do on mm. the basis of their concept and maybe when it came time to deliver in the marketplace you know um it's really when margins are strained when there's pressure put on the financial side that actually this is where we start to see these things crack i'm not sure who who was it that said but uh, it's only when the tide goes out that you realize who's been swimming naked and there's there's a huge amount of that um no but there is there's a huge amount of that but on the other side of it, and I, I, I know we're still waiting kind of on the latest figures, but we know that, say, private equity in uh, prop tech firms, um, we know last year that was up about 37 or 35% or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that was coming off a low base. And we know that the vast majority of that, I think somewhere around 69 or 70%, is still going into prop tech funds that are doing maybe the prop tech that we were pushing years and years ago mm, like the mm. sales and marketing and the construction mm. management the efficiencies those yeah. kind of things so actually we haven't even scratched the surface of the the different esg solutions mm. um but you know you you talked about how the esg maybe the e is getting a little more um prominence than the s and the g only in the last month or two i moderated a panel for biz now in dublin and it was about esg mm. and like you i believe that there's huge value to be gained by kind of particularly the s the social side of it um mm. and i obviously made that point a bit too often on the panel <laughs> I, across the panel because when it came time for the q a you know i had said like you know we're going to talk about more than just the e and esg and yeah. by the time we got to the q a someone said okay now can we talk about the e and esg <laughs> so i think i may have overcorrected. and look <laughs> what really what that showed me was that 
I've lost my touch of reading the room, but also <laughs> what that showed me is that actually the industry was there to understand how they can comply with their mm -hmm. environmental and mm -hmm. sustainability mm -hmm. metrics, because mm -hmm. actually the social is a little bit still in the nice to have box, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the environmental is the one that actually they're being, there's pressure being put on them to report, there's pressure being put on them mm -hmm. to implement changes. So actually yeah. that is probably where we're going to see the, the most market traction, whether that's reflected in VC funding is a different question. I mean, I think, I, th I think on that, you know, it's, what's interesting is on, on that E side of things, you know, is, is that investors are now kind of putting pressure on, on, on landlords, on asset managers to, you know, to, to, to reach these targets. So w when the money starts talking and starts focusing on something, then the rest of the industry is kind of like, okay, well, you know, that, that's going to actually have an impact on us if we can't secure investment. I think on the S side, there's probably still not a totally concrete link between kind of well-being and, and and your bottom line so you know and I think I think I don't, I don't think that's that's right you know I want to think that we've got sort of a better <laughs> better moral compass than that but um but I think you know certainly that that probably will change because actually I think certainly with with, with hybrid working or, or you know as, as you know Gen Z and millennials generally have a better understanding of their kind of their mental health they're, they're more open to talking about it so actually you know they're suffering on in that sense people are losing their employees if you're an occupier and you're losing your best employees because of these issues then actually you are going to move on from that building and that again does have an impact on the bottom line it's just a bit harder to it's just a bit more kind of working out that you've got to do in order to kind of prove that there's a financial impact of, of the s side um but you know i think i think it's but still is, that, is that is that the job then of the not just startups but the product innovators in the marketplace you know, anybody coming into a marketplace has to show their value. They really have to yeah. make a case for them being there. So do you think maybe, is that something that prop techs do well? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think yes and no. Um, the the best ones, absolutely. I mean, I, I think about, you know, so many of our clients and I'll just give one example, which is, you know, um, Coyote Software. I mean, those guys, you know, really came out of, uh, were born out of the last recession, you know, back in, back in 2008. And they were real estate guys looking at, well, how can they use technology? You know, it was like the market was so hard to understand, so hard to navigate. How could they use technology to better understand the opportunities available to them? Perfect example of a, you know, a real estate problem. And then somebody kind of saying, well, let's look at how technology can help us. So it was a real direct link between the problem and the solution. And that's what makes a really good prop tech company fundamentally is, are you solving an actual pain point, an actual problem? You know, we always talk about at Blockspring, you know, these companies have to be, um, you know, have to be aspirants, you know, they've got to, they've got to, you know, they've got to solve a headache, you know, they can't just be kind of vitamins that are sort of nice to have supplement that adds a little bit of extra health, but you don't really need. So, you know, I think the best companies are, are those ones that are really obviously linked to, to, to a problem. I think the technologies that struggle are where they're either trying to solve in a sense, too many problems and haven't quite sort of nailed any one of them or they're just kind of looking for a problem that doesn't quite exist. That's a classic problem with any startup, isn't it? But, you know, if you're not sort of directly tied into that sort of almost that, that, that emotional feel that the buyer has, which is, oh man, yeah, that thing is really stressful or we really do want that thing to be solved, then you've got a problem because either you've got to get some incredible, um, you know, marketing behind you to try and sort of sell something. Um, but uh, you know, more often than not, I think you, you, you kind of get found out if you're not not actually solving something that the industry needs. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um, a couple of years ago, we talked about innovation 
we were seeing, particularly on, say, the residential side, it was very mm. much um, consumer-led. So consumers having a, a problem personally and then designing a solution, assuming everybody else had the same problem, but actually being dependent on the industry to roll out this problem and then being surprised when the industry didn't engage. Mm. Um, and there were like, there was a, there was a huge cohort of startups in that space um, back in 2015, 2016, whereas actually what we're seeing at the moment the industry has stepped up in a way. So actually some of the best innovations we're seeing at the moment are coming from people who have a background in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there seems to be maybe a different, uh, in, in terms of identifying a problem, there are always problems. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's not a case of even people having to invent problems, but maybe it's a case of people coming across a problem, but not understanding that actually this isn't a priority. So mm. it's not one that's going to be resourced. Yeah. Um, whereas innovation that's, industry-led tends to know where the pain points are that the industry is willing to pay for given the margins that are there mm -hmm. at the moment and that's yep. not every problem that's only yep. certain problems so in terms of um the innovation that's coming out at the moment do you think the industry is uh, is acknowledging the problems that you know that technology is here to serve are you seeing still um the industry was certainly in denial about technology right up until COVID, so as in the people who were doing it, were doing it well, um, but the others, there was a huge gap between it, those who were adopting it and those who weren't, whereas mm. now data is everything. Mm. So is this even a hard sell anymore? It's funny because it still is and it shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, I think about some of the kind of data companies that we're working with. You look at the market right now, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, you know, property investors, Sitting on sitting on their hands a little bit. No one's quite sure where it's going to go. It's understandable. It's sort of been you know, turbulent times um, from a kind of macroeconomic point of view. And at that point, you know, certainly if, if it's me, I'm thinking, well, I just need to get my hand on as much information, live information as I possibly can, in order to try and understand what's happening in the market. You know, obviously the answer to that, in my opinion at least, is is to have as much data as you can. You know, software that can collate market data that can help sort of visualize that, provide me with you know really clear insights as to okay, great, this looks like an amazing region to invest in, or you know, okay, Dublin's blowing up right now, we really need to kind of invest there, or you know, let's let's get out of London, whatever. Um, but actually having that sort of those, those insights to hand to me makes most sense when the market's turbulent. However, you know, I think I I'm probably a bit harsher in the real estate industry, and actually I forget that it, you know. To, to some extent, it, it has, you know, it had, it has always kind of relied on on sort of relationships. So people kind of, you know, discussing the problems and actually kind of having some trusted advisors around them. And so I think a lot of people still go with down that route and sort of say, oh, we need to talk to this guy. You know, he's really clear understanding of the market. Or this lady has really clear understanding of that market. So I think that's a, uh, you know, that's that's certainly been how the kind of the industry has has worked for you know hundreds hundreds of years. So I think suddenly now, you know, data makes most sense to me. But it's still not somebody kind of reassuring you, is it, face to face? And I think, you know, probably a challenge for prop techs, you know, and I think some that do this really well is also kind of providing that sort of human plus technology service, which is let me help you understand, you know, this this technology, this software, let me help you sort of be the human sort of trust behind it as well. So, you know, it's fascinating because, you know, where do you go when the market's turbulent? Do you go to kind of cold hard numbers? Do you go to somebody who you've just trusted for years and years and years? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, many people would still go for the latter. You know, I, I'm really glad that you brought around the area of trust, because actually that's one of the things we're seeing in the marketplace is 
one of the one of the biggest buying factors. So actually, because um, the move to technology is not completely new, you know, the real estate industry, to be fair, across residential and commercial, they've been using technology for 20 plus years. So that's mm-hmm. it's not that it's completely new, but how we're asking them to use it and, you know, how they're expected to to extract value that that has changed. But one thing we've seen actually in the marketplace is that companies are far more likely to trust a previous provider. So actually we have providers who were doing one thing being asked to to provide something else, to design Mm. a solution to a different problem rather than the same buyer going out to establish people in the marketplace just because they don't know them. So actually I think with technology, the trust factor is absolutely huge. And the reality is I do think that over the last number of years, the value of data is being much better understood by mm. the industry. But the problem is now there are so many prop tech companies or data real estate data companies offering this that actually how can one how can one innovator separate themselves from the crowd? How how do you help your startups and your your innovators to essentially step out and say, okay, we're we're all data collection companies, but here is what we do that's unique. Yeah, it's a great, a great question. I mean, I'll go back to the first one first, which I think is just touching on that idea of trust and and credibility. Um, I, you know, personally, I think that is, yeah, as I say, that's that's certainly still a massive thing, isn't it? Some of the work that we do around, um, you know, helping companies to to show um, that they've helped another company or to sort of say we, we, you know, these people have invested in us. That goes a long way. You know, just think about, you know, um, Proda. We did a sort of Series A announcement recently. Um, and uh, you know they've had some amazing investors behind them, and actually already had so much interest off the back of that because you know j- you know we don't like to be guinea pigs, do we? No one does. So actually knowing that somebody else has has, has already had value from this product is 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 great, and and that makes a lot of sense. I think in terms of helping people kind of kind of stand out, yeah, there are there are certainly you know a lot of data um, providers you know um, in the market, but they are all very different. I mean, they're, they're, and you know you only really kind of a appreciate that when you sort of drill down into the actual solution i think the issue for each of those is trying to get that face time with the buyer to demonstrate the the point of difference because there really are it's not just the way that the data is um is is collated the different third party sources they can draw in it's the it's the expertise behind that it's the onboarding it's the customer service it's the you know the different data points it's things like are they providing information now on esg you know everyone's asking for that how do i know that this building is you know is is sustainable um, so there are lots of different points, um, points of different difference. I think, you know, for, for us, you know, Blockspring, the big challenge is always helping companies really define their messaging up front. You know, it's a big part of what we do. We always sit down with them and, you know, some companies will just say to us, we just want to get some press. And we say, well, look, let's work out, let's go right back to basics. Let's work out who are you, you know, what, what are you actually offering to your buyers? You know, and then let's think about how, how can we communicate that and then through which channels. And so it can be a bit of a painful process, but I think unless you're kind of really clearly articulating your your particular value to the market, it's very hard to cut through um, against other companies. And that's, you know, that's something that we help with. That's my only plug for today, Carol, I promise. No, no, well, <laughs> genuinely, I think that this is really useful. And, um, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the value of, you know, I, I think actually one of the things that technology startups lack is they objectiveness that you sometimes you need the hands or the arm's length distance mm. um to be you know that little bit of perspective to be able to um simplify what's complex and mm. to be honest 
if it's good technology, then yes, it should be simple. But actually, when you get down to it, there's complexities involved. So actually, the messaging is all about making that simple so that you're really making you're making the buying decision easy as opposed to putting more hurdles. And um, but because we're talking about uh, maybe spaces that are becoming ever more crowded, um, you know, so particularly across commercial real estate and uh, data collection, um, there was an article, there was an article in uh, Shifted recently that, that caught my attention and I'd love to get your view on it. Um, but let me ask first, um, in the context of uh, startups and, and innovators who are well-established scaling companies, whether they've gone through series of fundraising um, or not, how important is the profile of the founder or founders? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's, you know, certainly people, again, the real estate industry is based on, on relationships. So I think we actually see the value of knowing who's leading that company um you know it can be really really important we're often trying to encourage um the ceos that we work with to like just think about your own kind of personal linkedin profile people are kind of interested well they are interested in what you have to say and they might be actually looking at you know what's important to you um so you know being having a bit of personality behind the behind the, behind the company um it can be really difficult you know ceos are busy so that's often something we also help them with as well as like you know can we help you kind of identify certain topics that might be good to talk about um so i think yeah having having personality is huge um that said you know i think um you know one thing that's really exciting us, you know, with the companies we're thinking about is just having a, a sort of a, a diverse range of, of voices within the company. Um, you know, I think, again, this is a great opportunity for, for prop tech. You know, we all know that real estate has traditionally struggled in terms of kind of promoting diversity. I think the opportunity for prop tech has always been, you know, attracting a sort of a younger, um, more diverse demographic, you know, who, who study those sort of STEM subjects and, 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 and promoting diversity within the real estate industry and being a real champion for that. So what we're excited about is, you know, yes, um, helping CEOs tell their story and, you know, what's exciting is there are you know, increasingly more diverse CEOs, but it's also helping other people within the industry. There's heads of customer success, um, you know, CFOs, CTOs, and just kind of really celebrating the whole kind of breadth of, of, of voices within, within the prop tech industry. There's certainly a big way to go. Um, we're nowhere near kind of where I would love to see the industry at, but um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly kind of on its way, which is, which is encouraging. Yeah. Well, PJ, Thank you for that. And I, I agree with you about diversity. You know, um, this isn't an industry that has done that well, particularly in Ireland. And I'd like to say that we are making progress, but actually um, through PropTech Ireland, we were we were contacted oh, last year um, to to ask if we could put forward underrepresented founders. Mm. And what we realized then was that there was there was a special grant being made available for underrepresented uh, for underrepresented founders. And as we looked through our cohort of PropTech startups, we realized that we had more founders called Gareth than we had female founders. Mm -hmm. That's yep. a problem. Mm -hmm. So we are utterly, utterly lacking um, mm -hmm. diversity, uh, not just across the PropTech, but construction technology as well. And uh, to be honest, the problem is worse now than when I started doing this type of work in 2015 or 2016. Mm -hmm. That's very worrying to me. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a handful of female founders um, and, and that's only one factor of diversity um, in terms mm -hmm. of neurodiversity, in, in terms of 
um, other cultures and ethnicities were just lacking completely. But, mm. <coughs> excuse me. But um, so that's definitely a challenge that we have in Ireland. I don't know how that's mirrored outside of Ireland. Um, but the reason I was asking about the founders profile is because mm. we have always, you know, we have always been told and, and it certainly seemed to be the case that VCs were more attracted to established or proven um, founders and those who had a profile. And so I was really surprised in the last week to see a piece um, by a VC mm-hmm. in, in Shifted. And it, I'll read it directly. It's a founders, stop chasing the limelight, limelight, just build your damn product. So fame seeking founders are not just annoying, they're potentially damaging to Euro's, or Europe's um, startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Now, honestly, I, I was raging when I read this because founders have been told to go out and build a profile for themselves mm-hmm. for the past decade or more. Mm-hmm. VCs have only just started doing this. And here was a VC whose name I had never heard before taking the limelight in Shifted, which is one of the, the main now startup news outlets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to tell founders not to do it. It's the height <laughs> of cynicism and hypocrisy, but it's also untrue. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I have to I have to get your opinion on that. I mean, do, do you think you know you're helping your clients go through funding rounds? You're mm-hmm. dealing with VCs all the time. Mm-hmm. Is this thinking from VCs or is this one VC chasing the limelight? Oh, do you know what? That's <laughs> a good question. I mean, I think, you know, certainly when we're talking to our clients about fundraising, um, you know, we we do believe that, a, you know, a bit of press and external credibility does go a long way. Does that have to be for the for the leader of the company, for the CEO? I don't think so. I think it can be the company as a, as a whole. But I think if you're going out to, to VCs, what's the first thing they're probably going to do? They're going to Google you. So yeah, they'll go on your website. But after that, what are they looking at? And if they see there's nothing there and they think these guys are maybe chancing it or whatever, then that's 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 going to be a hard sell. If they look at, you know, what you've got going on and it's just, you know, oh, they've, they've had some thought leadership in this, they're kind of, you know, they've put an announcement out here, then actually you're kind of showing that you're, almost part of the kind of the real estate ecosystem and you're clearly tied in. And so there is a little bit of kind of just immediate credibility that comes with that. And so we, we kind of are helping our companies gear up for, for fundraising rounds by actually putting out, um, putting out a bit of press that they can go into those meetings kind of saying, well, look, you know, we're here and we're established. So that does help. I think, um, gosh, on the whole, that like kind of personal profiling with VCs, I mean, Obviously, it helps if you've had a you know, previous success at another company. Say you, you've successfully kind of um, exited from a company, and you know you, you you bring with you that kind of personal credibility. Then then, then great. That does strike me as slightly ironic. I, I do feel like you know VCs do make a good, a good amount of noise themselves. So I don't want to get in trouble, but I yeah I, that strikes me as a yeah maybe a little bit ironic. Um, well, <laughs> look to be honest, I VCs seeking. Uh, seeking publicity like this this is new 10 years mm-hmm. ago you wouldn't know who a vc was and even yeah. if there's a website it will be a single page mm-hmm. with if you're lucky an email address but not always yeah. so actually this whole wave of vc seeking publicity is new and and in a way you know it's almost to to make themselves attractive for yeah, absolutely startup founders um, yeah. because uh, you know certainly there's startup founders who uh, who can access finance generally have their choice uh, mm. of partners for that. Mm. So um, yeah, mm. I, I just thought that was a, a really interesting one. I wanted to hear mm. your take on that. But one mm. thing that 
we seem to be coming back to quite a bit today is this whole notion of social proof. So mm. actually, whether it's in the business side that people want to, you know, on the buyer side that they want to know that you have successfully implemented technology, mm. or if it's on the funding side, they want to know it's, you know, we're coming back to social proof. And that's, I mean, look, to be perfectly honest, that's why companies engage pure firms. Mm. So, but you're, I know you mentioned there that actually it is possible to do this for the company rather than the founder, but in practice, you know, from one PR to another, in practice, <laughs> when you go to pitch a company, yeah. what's the question? They either want to know the clients or they want to know the founders mm. because it always comes back to a human story. So does, yeah. I don't know, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, but I could not promote uh, an innovator, a, a, a new startup technology company mm. uh, through PR, not editorial or advertorial, but through PR without pushing a, a human front and center. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think we've. It's interesting with the with the sort of startups that we've encountered. Yeah, personality goes a long way. And look, it's great if you've got a CEO who's willing to. Yeah, particularly with if if, if you're sort of a small company, you're sort of unknown. How are you going to cut through the noise? You know, we often say, well, take a contrarian stance on something. Be passionate about something. You know, because that's going to help you stand out. Um, but I do still think the I think the story and that human story can still come from from the from the kind of the, the problem that you're solving. Now, often that's tied to the CEO. I'll give you an example of you know um, uh, you know one of the companies we were working with early on, Checkboard. You know, you know James Awusu, who was who was solving a problem that he'd actually encountered. So the whole company narrative was also tied in with him as well. Like the, the two things were, were were really really linked. Um, but I think, you know, take, again, take Coyote software as an example. They just got an amazing narrative anyway, because they came out of, you know, really they're born out of the last recession. Now, yes, the CEO is, is, was, was part of that journey, but actually just the very kind of like essence of why they were, they were born um, was tied in with kind of, you know, the downturn coming out of that. How would real estate survive? And I still think that's a, that is almost still a human story it's just that you know that you don't need to have, have the ceo involved in that so but i think this probably comes back to a wider point about storytelling and, and narrative generally doesn't it because i think if you if you're just expecting to kind of have your solution and people will just come and find you that's just not going to happen and so actually being able to kind of really emotionally engage your buyer is huge it's absolutely huge if you can talk the same language that they're talking you can sympathize with the problems they're experiencing you can kind of communicate how you can solve those problems um and you can kind of have you know build that sort of relationship with them that's that's huge um you know humans are still relational so you know that's the challenge that we always have with our companies is how can we help you kind of tell that narrative in a really kind of impactful powerful way um rather than just kind of sitting there and hoping that you know people will come to your website and find you um that's not not really how it works I don't think that's how it works for any industry. Unfortunately, life would be much easier if it if, if it did. Um, I'm conscious of time, but before we finish up today, I, I'm interested to see. You know, we we've talked about maybe where there's quite a number of um, innovators offering products across the the real estate ecosystem. Well, from construction and across the built environment. Um, are you seeing any challenges that are going? Uh, un, unmet or unaddressed like where do you see there's opportunities for new innovation gosh um that's a great question i mean i think in my opinion the opportunities are still certainly around kind of not just being a 
point solution. So I think probably the opportunity is to be a tech firm that is, um, that's able to kind of uh, partner well, tie in with other technologies. So I, I, this is a big difference actually between even when we first spoke, you know, back in 2018, there are a lot of kind of standalone technology companies that are solving one particular point, point solution. Now that's, that's great. You know, they're solving that problem, but you can't go into a, a building or a portfolio unaware that there are other technologies that you kind of need to tie in um, and, and kind of talk to. So I think the big opportunity is still, how do we tie these things together? How do you kind of almost create a sort of, uh, you know, almost a hub, a tech hub. Um, I think, again, a company that's that's pretty cool on that is Illity. I know you, you spoke to them, but about how you can kind of, um, you're almost kind of drag and drop technologies, help them speak to each other, how you kind of package those up and, and shift them across your building. So I think that's still a big, big opportunity. Um, the stuff we've obviously been talking about before. So what are the big issues facing the world? I mean, real estate still, you know, contributes whatever 30% of, of, of CO2 emissions. <laughs> you know, this, that, that is still incredible um you know and we're we're supposed to kind of have, have got to net zero by 2050 you know it's it, that's the clock is ticking down so i think that's still a kind of a huge a huge thing um and i think more than just coming up with solutions there i think it's about um really energizing the industry to make change i think someone that does that really well is, is michael beckerman at, at cretech you know he's passionate about solving this problem um and you know, we need, we need people who are going to kind of, you know, really, really challenge, but also kind of demonstrate the business case as well. So it's a bit of a rambling answer, but I think it is, it is those big problems that face in the industry, ESG. Um, I think it's, yeah, not just being isolated tech solutions anymore. It's about understanding that this is a, you know, a holistic thing um, and, uh, you know, tying in with other technologies. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're bang on the money there. You know, Michael Beckerman, we're, we're huge fans of his. He's, uh, he's been a guest on the show. Uh, you know, again, he's one of the most inspiring people really championing sure. um, the whole wave of climate tech at the moment. And, and not only that, but actually the cultural shift that needs mm -hmm. to go along with it. Mm -hmm. But you touched on something really important there, which is integration. And actually, this is the thing that... Um, I agree with you. I think there's a really good opportunity there for the companies who could do this well, because at the moment, everybody, you know, everybody thinks their baby is the prettiest. Everybody thinks the problem they're solving is the most important problem. And everyone thinks their technology is the only way to address that problem. Whereas mm. the reality is what we've seen in the industry, again, this comes back to trust mm. where people have been using a provider for 20 years, they are not going to stop using that provider. Mm -hmm. So actually, if you want to improve on that, you need to be integrating. Yes. Don't come yep. in, try to replace and dismiss what's gone before, because actually it, it, it's not about the technology. And I, one of the things, and frankly, it took me a couple of years to accept this um, because I genuinely believe it's not the right thing, but mm -hmm. it's just what happens. And that is, it is not the best solution that wins. It's not mm -hmm. the best solution that gets purchased. It's the one we trust. It's mm -hmm. the one we know. So actually the biggest opportunity for innovators right now is to look at which old, older technologies are in place and how can we work with them? Mm -hmm. um, because if, you, if you're going to go head to head and you're going to ask a, a real estate firm to change out their entire portfolio, you better be bringing good credibility. You better have the resources to do mm -hmm. it um, that's a huge, that's a huge ask. So yes, of course it can be done, but it, but it's a big ask.
Whereas mm. actually, I think that there's so many opportunities for integrations. And actually, we've seen this um, across things like safety lighting, mm-hmm. where we've seen people come in and work with existing providers to get, to offer a more high-tech solution, mm. but they're not necessarily displacing the others, um, but again, integrating well. And actually, there's there's uh, I, I think that this is part of the shift that has to happen. And there's a little bit of ego protection in this. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think they bought badly five, six, seven, eight years ago. So you have to give uh, real estate and portfolio owners um, a way to not take a huge loss on technology mistakes that they mm-hmm. might have bought in in recent years. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to make it easy. Easier yeah. I mean, I think I think the other interesting thing on, on that as well is not just it's not just potentially tying in with past solutions that are just like part of the fabric within a company. It's also thinking if you're going into a, a portfolio or a building, it's about recognizing that things are going to change again. So actually making sure that you, your solution is, um, is integratable, you know, as other solutions come on board, that, that it's adaptable, that it's flexible, that it's not just solving a problem for, for 2022. You know, these things are going to keep evolving, keep shaping. That's what's fascinating to me. And so actually making sure that you can stay flexible and adaptable as a, as a prop tech company is, is absolutely huge and keep kind of iterating on things, keep kind of improving, keep listening to the buyer, you know, okay, what are the problems you're facing now? You know, everybody thought that we were still going to be going to the office nine till five, you know, five days a week, you know, it's COVID happened, you have to adapt. And so, you know, companies that have now changed to you know, helping people work through hybrid working and all that sort of stuff, you've got to stay nimble. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that that's accepting that things will keep keep evolving in the future and you need to stay open to that as well. Um, is it fair to say that COVID is probably the best thing that happened to PropTech in the last decade? <laughs> oh, it's hard. It's hard to position COVID as a positive. But yeah, I mean, in a business sense, yeah. Look, I think it's, we needed a shakeup um, for sure. I, th- I, think, I think culturally we're ready for this as well. I just even think about generationally, if you look at the talent that's coming in, Gen Z millennials who are just so used to, you know, swipe left, swipe right. You know, they don't want to sit in a building for hours and hours and hours and hours. They want to have that kind of um, experiential change. They want to kind of keep things fresh. They want to, and you know, and so actually that presents challenge, challenges to the real estate industry, putting them in a booth, you know, for five days a week, you know, across these hours, that's not going to cut it. And so actually, you know, understanding that this is where the market's going is really really important but yes would that have happened naturally probably but it would have taken a long long time i think the fact that everyone proved that they could work from home and again come back to that 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 word trust you know that people could be trusted at home um but also i think you know the other interesting side of this is you know people thought well is this the death of real estate and absolutely not there's still you know i think what's what's cool is that actually it's also proven the value of working in you know collaboration um you know having community as well so actually you know even this week you know i I was like i just need to go in and see see our colleagues you know we're a remote first business but actually for me to go in once or twice a week i need that because i need to bounce ideas with other people so i think that's what's fascinating is there's still a a place for both Um, but yes look i think covid's really challenged the industry in in so many ways i mean we could have a whole nother discussion on that probably um yeah it, it, no no that, that that's a very fair point before we finish up uh pj what are you most excited about in PropTech? gosh what am i most excited about in PropTech? um i think i am most excited about um yeah just the opportunities available to to the industry i think what's 
what's amazing is that there are just these almost like existential crises and massive social movements that are happening around us you know whether it is the environment whether it is kind of you know the the rising numbers of of, of poor kind of mental health um, whether it's adapting to to hybrid working whether it's looking at kind of transport infrastructure all this stuff there are so many challenges facing the built world and what excites me is that you know technology holds the answer i think if we're willing to kind of understand and and, and listen to these problems you know well and, and really understand the, the issues that the buyers are facing i think technology holds the answer to all of those so i think what's exciting is just seeing just the proliferation of providers coming up with amazing solutions um and and seeing who you know who who you know who becomes that sort of unicorn in, in 10 years time and and seeing how the industry evolves so i just think the opportunities are immense i think it's time to be positive uh, i think technology holds the answer yeah <laughs> I love that technology is the answer. We just don't know what the question is yet. That's true. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Thank you so much. That was PJ Appleton, co-founder of Blockspring. And that's it from us this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to producer Breed Malloy and the Hear Me Roar Media Production team and to Luke Delaney on sound for Dublin South FM. Until next time, thank you for listening.